Hello, I'm Tom Fraser, and this is the second segment of my interview with Jerry Meyer about how to build a new museum. Uh, Jerry, I'd like to talk with a kind of a fun question. Uh, th this being a military museum, do you have to be careful about the pieces people bring in to donate? <laughs> well, thank you, Tom. Yes, you do. And it it's always amazes us is, you know, whenever we have someone come up there and they always start the conversation off with, um, Grandpa passed away, and uh, we went up in the attic and we started digging through, and they'll, and they'll bring us something. And, you know, they brought us things such as hand grenades, which were still alive, uh, artillery shells, usually smaller caliber, but still they're all alive. And, you know, so, we, so we've learned our lesson whenever they say that is, we, you know, don't bring it into the building, we, we go out to there. And, and it always has some kind of documentation that Grandpa had that said it was okay, but it's not. And, and, you know, and, then, we, and then we fell for one is uh, we received a, uh, an RF4 Phantom ejection seat. It was a, um, it's a full-up uh, uh, ejection seat, but it's on wheels, you know, so we, we assumed uh, that, that there was nothing wrong with it. And uh, we used to joke with people, and, you know, if we didn't like your answer, we were going to strap you in the seat and pull the lever. Well, come to find out, when the uh, explosive ordnance people were over here getting rid of those hand grenades I just talked about, they looked at our ejection seat and they go, hey, by the way, do you know you still have your, uh, the, the explosive bolts are still on the, on the apparatus? So they had to tear that seat apart and then put it back together, but we didn't know. And, and it's one of those things we learned is, is uh, you don't take for granted things that are being brought in. And, you know, that, that's one thing is uh, when, when our uh, veterans pass away, they did bring a lot of things back from such as World War II. So uh, we always caveat our discussion with, you know, no live ordinance of any sort comes to the museum. Uh, yeah, well, research is very important. Um, r research is a part of my work that I just really, uh, really enjoy. I know you've done a lot of research in a lot of different ways for this project. Uh, can, can you tell us about, about the process there? Well, Tom, the, the thing that we had to do right off the bat was uh, there's 31 state and territorial museums of the National Guard. Not every state and territory has, has a museum. Some have done what we've done where they've taken an older building and refurbished it. And some have uh, started from scratch, built a new building. You know, that, we, we did the happy medium. We chose an, an existing structure from 1956, refurbished it, made it into an ultra-modern museum. Um, but we had to. And we had to, you know, in this, in this whole research thing is we also had to look for what's a selling point of people to come to these National Guard museums? And we had to look at some of our, our people that have served in the Nebraska National Guard. And we're, we're very fortunate here in uh, Nebraska to have several uh, individuals that, that have name recognition. And one would be uh, Mr. Warren Buffett from Omaha. Um, he served in the Nebraska National Guard from 1951 to 1956, and a lot of people didn't know that. And then when they come to visit here, they see his picture uh, in our I Am the Guard room, and and they, and they go, well, what did he do in the Guard? And guess what? He did finance. You know, he he uh, back in the day, we used to uh, we used to pay our soldiers in cash when they were done with training. So um, Mr. Buffett uh, went and looked in his collection and found some photographs of him standing next to tables full of money and distributing money to our soldiers. Um, what was good about that is. Um, he he, did, he he interviews very well, and and you know it was, it was a pleasure talking to him. Uh, we sent a camera crew to uh, to get uh, some more information from him to uh, to utilize in the museum. But uh, very positive about the about the Nebraska National Guard, about the individuals he served with, and he was really keying in on service and the people that are in the organization. And uh, we're always very thankful to, to to him. And then another guy would have been. Um, 
Andrew Jackson Higgins. Uh, he served in the Nebraska Guard in the early 1900s, went on to do great fame as a boat builder during World War II. Uh, his landing craft helped to, uh, to win World War II. Uh, matter of fact, the National World War II Museum in New Orleans was founded because of him. You know, so now you've got several individuals that have recognition, not only here in Nebraska, but around the country, but around the world. Uh, yeah, something I enjoy about small projects like this is it's amazing what the research will lead to, and those are two great examples. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit more generally now about uh, some broader themes. Uh, as we've discussed, the vision for a new museum, of course, is, is key to the success of a new museum. Uh, project management and project execution are two topics I talk to uh, with clients quite a bit. Um, obviously getting things done on time and on budget are, are really important. Are, are there any special issues or challenges that museum projects might face uh, with regards to project management and project execution? Well, probably a good example of that would be our Cornrows to Hedgerows exhibit. You know, it, we know the 75th anniversary is coming in 2019, so we backwards plan from that. Uh, you line up your corporate, your private donors, uh, your, your any type of grant funding, all gears towards you know this July of, of 2019 and we did the same thing with just the building you know just getting the building and, and, and latching on to funds federal funds that that can help us convert a 1956 building that had no cooling system or the way to control the humidity we had to have all that built in uh, before we could start uh, occupying and doing this so you know we had a lot of different uh, tentacles out there looking for ways to fund but having a a central focus of a the cornrows to hedgerows theme uh, for the exhibit in the museum is now uh, our, a lot of our donors are focused on that you know we've got it we've got a two-year window that has opened up and i tell people it's the 75th it's not the 74th or the 76th you know you only got one shot at this you've got to make it happen there's a lot of things riding on the people that are coming here from france and we're going to you know all this stuff uh it works in 2019 and, and people know that and you know we're, we're fortunate that uh, we have a company that uh, that came up here to visit that looked at this project that uh, would definitely want to take this on as a project. Um, Roger Barganier is his name, and he's from Tampa, Florida. He's an artist. He's looked at this, and uh, it's something that um, his company has done before in building displays. So, you know, taking a painting and turning it into a display is really a visionary thing, but it also is a uh, – it brings people in. People are excited to see stuff like that. Yeah. Um, uh, funding is, is, of course, a hugely important topic. Uh, it's something I spend a lot of time talking with clients about. Uh, can you tell us about the different sorts of funding uh, you have for this project? Well, the first source would have been our, our federal funding that we got for moving our museum. You know, it, it is taking an older armory and then having to convert it. Uh, museum standards are a lot different than readiness centers and, and armories. Um, you know, just having the air conditioning and the humidity control set at a certain temperature, having the UV, the lights, the replacing the windows, uh, setting up. Uh, all sorts of different display spaces um, you know that that took a, a huge leap but but then also you, you back that up with a quarter million dollars worth of individual and corporate donors just to get started just to create the first 
the, the front part of the museum that, that when people come here, when you come here, you, it looks like it's done. I mean, you know, the, the theater that you're sitting in now, the, the, uh, the learning center, the Concordia University Learning Center, the, the John W. Cattle Senior Exhibit Area, they're done. And, and, you know, people see that and they're like, oh, I understand. My donation will be something like this. And, and that helps us with the individual and corporate donor is now we can, people can walk in here and they know what things cost. And I, I like to always say freedom isn't free in either of these displays. They're just not. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, they do come at a cost, but but people like to see, you know, their name associated with something. And and it really helps us because we we, we cater to that. You know, if there if there's a company that uh, that says, hey, I have a connection with businesses in Alaska. Well, we had something on on our soldiers that served in the Aleutians. Well, guess what? Boom, a company steps in, and that's who they want to to help us with. So, you know, women in the Nebraska National Guard. Well, there was women's company, same thing. They all stepped up, and they said, we want our name on that. So, you know, I I look at the way we we divided up the building, and every space has, has a niche towards a business or a corporate or an individual to help us out. yeah, looking across the museum world, it seems that more and more museums are including an educational component in their core mission. Uh, tell us about the educational component of this museum. I would say that the education uh, component was probably our most important decision. You know, we had to take up a portion of our floor space away from exhibits to put it in. And that was a huge fight with some people is that we had to look at I, I'm a former public school teacher. I spent 15 years teaching, and I was very adamant that we do this. It's, it's realistically, it's looked as a lot better as um, we have a classroom, a full-up, automated, very similar to what students in public school will have here in the Midwest. They roll right in here. They've got their iPads. They're already hooked into our system. You know, the lessons are taught here in the school. Um, it, it's it's really an it's extension of their classroom. It, all schools around here need to do is is have the travel budget to bring people here. The museum is free for them, um, so they they bring them here. We do we do our displays, we do our, our our design lesson plans here, which fit what is their state standard. You know we have to look at their state standard in order to teach it here, um, and, and we do that. And we're very fortunate that we have Concordia University, a liberal arts college, uh, here in town. They're our sponsor for the uh, for the Loring Center, and it also opens up a huge amount of grants for us. If you look at all the education grants that are out there, uh, having a learning center was probably one of our best decisions. Um, uh, Finally, uh, as I discussed in an earlier episode of my podcast, uh, Seward is well known for its high level of volunteering and civic engagement. Uh, What is it about the Seward community that inspires so many people to get involved in community projects like this museum? And how do these projects contribute to the economy and quality of life in Seward? If you look at uh, Seward, there, Nebraska's 4th of July city, one of the things that we learned right off the bat when we were looking for places to put the museum is Seward has infrastructure that already designed and built towards these type of patriotic holidays as the 4th of July. so really it was a it was a pretty easy decision for us when we looked at the museum is to come here Uh, they have the infrastructure already available committees and stuff to to do these type of projects our first opening day was july 4th uh, 2016 we saw 7,815 people in one day Mm -hmm. Uh, there was 50,000 people here to see the uh, fourth of july activity so we know this year 2017 will probably pull over 10,000 people in one day based upon that Well, Jerry, it's been really uh, interesting to talk with you today about the story behind the Seward Museum. 
Uh, thank you for talking with me and my listeners.